Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. This is a very sedate episode of the podcast. <laughs> well, I'm heavily sedated. <laughs> <laughs> but what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch. Welcome to episode 104 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are John Farley, Dan Watkins, Peter Johnson, and I'm Hazel Chandler. On today's show, we've got some brand new recommendations from the world of TV and film that we've been enjoying recently. Plus, it is time for our annual Nerdfest Oscars sweepstake and discussion on which films we think might triumph. And I have an added twist for this year. Ooh. Oh, can't wait for that. So let's start the show. Has anyone identified the mystery voice yet? This is in the Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness trailer. It is, yes. Yeah. It's Mephisto there, all Mephisto. <laughs> oh, why there is it are. always Mephisto? <laughs> it's clearly Patrick Stewart. Uh, I know, Hazel, you thought at first it might be Odin. And then I saw the messages pointing out how wrong I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we, we think it's probably some kind of alternate universe Professor X you probably wouldn't bring Patrick Stewart into a Marvel film if he's not a variant of that character. Mm-hmm. But even if it is Patrick Stewart, it's not to say he's not from the universe where Doctor Strange is Patrick Stewart. <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> Multiverse. Yeah. Uh, okay. Just despite what Ian Mayer tells us about the logic of it all, it's nonsense. There's no logic. There's no logic no. at all. There could be a universe where yeah. Patrick Stewart is Doctor Strange. Yeah. He could come from the universe of Patrick Stewart's. So there's an infinite number of universes where Doctor Strange is Patrick Stewart, but has a slightly different haircut in each one. We can't tell that from a voice. Perhaps we're from the universe where Ian McKellen sounds like Patrick Stewart and mm-hmm. it's actually Magneto. Oh. And Who knows? Oh, each of those infinite number of universes also has an infinite number of other universes where he has the same hair, but a slightly different moustache. Exactly. And in an infinite number of those, is a warthog. <laughs> it seems an awful lot of trouble to create an entire universe just so they can have a slightly different Patrick Stewart. Yeah, but I do have my doubts in. about this multiverse mm-hmm. thing because time travel has always been a problem in films because you've got to have a set of rules to avoid falling down logic and plot holes. Yeah. And it seems like doing a multiverse is like that mm-hmm. times a million. Mm-hmm. Despite how much people loved Endgame, it didn't do time travel perfectly. So... Mm-hmm. It's the problem that it's a get-out-jail-free card, really. And if you can just undo any death Mm -hmm. or any bad event. That means there's an infinite number of universes in which Jonathan Frakes died because somebody decided to cast a warthog as Captain Picard and (laughs) (laughs) he was killed on the first day of filming. Who's going to recommend first? Do you want to give us a normal explanation? A normal explanation. Can I do a hazel explanation? That'll do. (laughs) In the absence of a good one. (laughs) Oh, you wound me. So now it's time to do some recommendations. So these are things that we have been enjoying recently and we would like you to enjoy them too. Dan, would you like to go first? Before I get to my main recommendation, I will just mention the latest addition to the Nerdfest bookshelf. I recently read, thanks to our friends at HarperCollins, Good Intentions by Kasim Ali. If you're a fan of Normal People or One Day or any of the current generation of love stories, Good Intentions is a really nice addition to that genre. There's a full review of it on our Twitter feed, so I won't go into depth here, but do check it out when it comes out this Mm. month. 
Hmm. Uh, my main recommendation is a film that appeared on Apple TV Plus in January, and it is The Tragedy of Macbeth. I was probably predisposed to like this. Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand, mm-hmm. directed by one of the Coen brothers, and they're doing Shakespeare. They had me anyway, but it <laughs> is an amazing film. Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand are both fantastic as Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. The changes that Joel Cohen, the director, has made to Shakespeare's play, such as turning the three witches into a performance of one actor who is a contortionist, adds this really eerie aspect to it. One of the minor characters, played by Alex Hassel, who's a veteran RSC performer, does some really interesting, almost Machiavellian, little finger from Game of Thronesy kind of things, mm. which adds a different aspect. And the visuals of it, almost every frame is absolutely stunning. You could print it off, put it in a frame, put it on your wall or in an art gallery. If I see a better film this year, I will be surprised. Oh, So given that John's house is all covered in pictures from various films, we can expect in a couple of weeks we'll come back and literally all the walls will just be covered in frames yeah, from this. Yeah, if film. he's got like a black and white Denzel on the throne, surrounded by these huge pillars and this sparse background, it would fit in perfectly with all the art I can see around me. Does that include the green square next to me that just says lick? That might be a, that's a paint sample. Right, okay, good. <laughs> There's a re- reason that that is there. But you thought it was art. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a, that's a sample for a possible wall colour. So is the paint called lick? It's lick paint. Mm. As in a lick of paint, but also... Uh. Oh, I'm sorry, John. I took those instructions literally, so... Um. So you now have a slimy wall. <laughs> you, now, you now have a green tongue and a slimy wall. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah. trying to be <laughs> So what does it do differently to... The, I mean, we've all seen Macbeth. We've all seen dozens of versions of Macbeth. What, mm-hmm. Why should I watch this version rather than say the Polanski one or... Well, that's well, obvious. Um, yes. <laughs> does it have Keith Chegwin in a minor yet important role? It does not. Uh, what it has, I think one of the main draws of it are the two main performers. Both Washington and McDormand have done a lot of Shakespeare, but not very much of it on screen. A lot of it's been on stage in New York. So you actually get to see what they do with these incredibly iconic characters. And because they're both in their 50s, 60s, it adds this aspect of world weariness to the Mm -hmm. Macbeths that you don't always get. You can tell that they've had all kinds of things happen to them to lead up to this point. And the prophecy that Macbeth gets, it's not thinking, I can take the throne, become king and have a long reign. It's almost Mm -hmm. like they play it as if it's their last chance to make a mark on the world. A little bit like the Michael Fassbender, Marion Cotillard version, there's a strong implication that the Macbeths have had a child or children and lost them. The scenes set at their castle, Cohen's created sets that are almost blank. There are these huge open spaces and empty walls. It's like they're alive, they're powerful, but there's something huge missing that people will remember them by. You can see Denzel's kind of just grasping onto it, thinking, if I can do this, Mm -hmm. then I've made my mark. Francis McDormand plays it like, well, that was my last chance. We've blown it. There's nothing left to do now but die. Yeah, I've heard that she plays a role less of a pantomime villain than maybe previous versions have. Yeah, very much so. They're not sympathetic by any means. They Mm. do murder people. They do 
burn Macduff's house down. They do all the things that the Macbeths do in the play, but she does it in a way that you can understand why she's doing Mm. it, which is a tricky thing to do with Lady Macbeth, because like you say, she is a character that gets caricatured quite a lot. The visuals will draw you in. You can't take your eyes off it, but it's what they do that will stay with you. Oscar-winning performances, do you think? I would be very happy if either of them won. Think only Denzel Washington's nominated. Yes. There are lots of very good actors, as you'd expect from any film with a Cohen involved. Harry Melling from Harry Potter's in there as Malcolm. Brendan Gleeson turns up. And Winter Steps perform their hit. Tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> when the feeling's gone and you can't go on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, post-credits. Post-credits. That's yeah. a critic cookie. It is. You're showing your age in calling that a step song and a Bee Gees song, by the I was, way. I, I couldn't remember whether it was the Bee Gees that did it originally. But Steps perfected it, let's be honest. <laughs> they gave it a dance, which we learned in dance school. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> Hazel and I just did the dance. Just the, the, the head shaking thing. <laughs> Hazel still remembers the rest of it. <laughs> I do. We performed it at my friend's wedding a couple of years ago. We all remember the moves, even though it's been 20 years since we've done them. Wow. See? Legends. Just think about all these things we remembered from our life. They're just yeah. taking up space. They're really <laughs> useless. Muscle memory. Yeah. yeah, That's what pub quizzes are for, to make that nonsense useful. <laughs> yeah, thankfully there isn't a dance round. Should I'll be. be up for that. <laughs> so how many daggers before you out of ten do you see? <laughs> Is this nine daggers out of ten I see before me? <laughs> out, out, damn John. <laughs> I've been meaning to watch this for weeks and I haven't had a chance yet, but I will do because Macbeth is my favourite Shakespeare play. How fucking middle class. Hey, what's your favourite Shakespeare play? <laughs> I mean, I've, count, I've counteracted that by talking about steps for the last two minutes, I guess, so it, it, it evens out. Yeah. The perception of Shakespeare as a middle class thing is a problem that I wish did not exist because mm. it should be and is if it's done right for everyone. Do you know what I hate? There's a particular laugh that middle-class people do when they go and see a Shakespeare yes, comedy. just before the funny line. Yeah. To go, ha, 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 ha. I understood because, that reference. Yeah. <laughs> or, ha, 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 ha. there's a funny bit coming up. Yeah. And I know it because I know the play. <laughs> want to punch them in the nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, should we have you up next? My recommendation this week is Pam and Tommy which is a new mini-series I'm enjoying on Disney Plus about the infamous Pamela Anderson sex tape. It stars Sebastian Stan, probably best known as Marvel's Winter Soldier, playing Motley Crue drummer Tommy Lee, Lily James as Baywatch pin-up Pamela Anderson, and Seth Rogen as Rand Gauthier, I don't know how you pronounce it, the carpenter who gets hold of their tape. I've seen three episodes so far. The first one's very much from the carpenter's point of view. He's hired to work on a big makeover for their bedroom, but Tommy Lee behaves like a dick, changing his mind all the time, refusing to pay for his work. He then points a gun at him and won't give him his tools back. Rand decides to get his own back by stealing a safe from the house, expecting to find money and jewellery inside, but it turns out to also contain the famous tape of them having sex on a boat while on holiday. Then we flash back to the romance between Pam and Tommy as he follows her to Mexico after meeting her in a nightclub and they get married on the beach just four days later. It's actually quite sweet, although Tommy is still a knob. Speaking of which, you vaguely cryptically hinted at this coming up. It also has the most hilarious talking penis scene I've ever seen. After Tommy gets performance anxiety at trying to sleep with Pam, 
The end of the penis is doing the talking, but it also quite literally wags around as it talks. It's so disturbing. In the list of things you thought you would never see on Disney Plus, (laughs) that is pretty much up there. The end of the penis, it has a mouth that moves. Yes, it's weird. I had to try and look up what the name for that was. There isn't a good name for it. The the, The urethral opening, it's called. There is a certain amount of nudity. I thought, oh, they've cast someone with exactly the right sort of body shape before realising mm-hmm. it's a, like a really accurate bodysuit she's wearing. Mm-hmm. And that lets both actors walk around apparently nude when not actually being nude, which is an interesting new level of freedom, I think, for yeah, actors. I, I think Sebastian Shaw is going to say that he was no prosthetic. Sebastian Shaw. <laughs> Sebastian Shaw, <laughs> so the old guy, <laughs> the old Darth Vader. Sebastian Stan? Yeah. I mean, Darth Vader, oh, I mean, he was hung like a horse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the only bit they kept... <laughs> <laughs> Turn to the dark side. <laughs> um, but I think he's probably going to say, no, no, that's all me. Um, and has some very disappointing... Even, even it wanging around. Even it wanging around <laughs> and talking. <laughs> so far, it's been quite fun. You empathise with all the major characters. Pam comes across as quite sweet. Mm-hmm. And you can understand how Ran justified his actions to himself, at least. I get the feeling it's still probably a bit more kind to Tommy Lee than he deserves. I know there are some issues with how they feel about this all being dredged up again. Tommy Lee apparently did talk to Sebastian Stan before they filmed. They did apparently try to get Pamela Anderson on board too, but she said she won't be watching even the trailer. Sadly, in the original court case about this, the fact she'd posed for Playboy was viewed by a judge as reason for her not to have privacy rights. Spoilers. But it's true, it's happened. <laughs> That's, yeah. Spoilers yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's like 30 years ago. I would imagine anybody younger than us is coming to this I maybe for the first time. I don't think that's going to be a major plot twist. Um, can you explain why quite often people have life rights, which is the, the rights to your own story? But in this case, they basically bought the rights to a 2004 Rolling Stone mm-hmm. article and then just sort of claimed public domain in terms of the rest of the story. That happens quite a lot legally in these sort of things. So they will buy the rights to a biography and then that gives them the rights to use the stuff in the biography. Um, so. You kind of don't really own the rights to your life story. It's quite confusing from a legal mm. perspective. But yeah, buying an article is certainly a way around that. Apparently, uh, House of Gucci also didn't have the rights for mm. anyone involved. And Ridley Scott just said, once the story's out in the world, it's up for grabs to be told by anybody. Yeah. For a really long time without much happening. <laughs> Yawn. Sorry, Ridley. <laughs> I'm a millennium on my phone. Yeah. Didn't love House yeah. of Gucci. But as for the show, I've been enjoying it so far, and you can find it on Disney Plus or on Hulu in the US. Yep. Uh, We are five episodes in, and it has started to take a turn from that lighter tone Mm. of the first couple of episodes Mm. into the actual implications of the tape being out there, but being reproduced without anyone's control, and it all spiralling out of really anyone's ability to handle it. That's coupled with some really horrible personal circumstances. Yep. It's becoming the tragedy of Pam and Tommy, mm. in a way. I really like that they're getting into all sorts of different types of discussions, like how Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson were perceived differently mm-hmm. after the tape. So Tommy Lee was kind of like, oh, yeah, you've got a very large penis. And that's mm. kind of how he was kind yeah, of seen. Th- this is the 90s, the decade yeah. of lad culture. Mm. And 
Pamela Anderson is getting ready to kind of take her career up a notch. Um, she's having all these interviews for, is it Barbarella that was uh, coming Barb out? Wire. Barb, Barb Wire. Barbarella, sorry. Barb Wire. Not a good film. Yes. No. Spoiler alert. That Terrible does not film. No, <laughs> no well. but she's having discussions about yeah. what sort of career mm. that she wanted. And a very sort of Marilyn Monroe scenes almost. Yeah, there was yeah. that lovely bit where she's interviewed by a magazine and she talks about wanting to be Jane, Jane Fonda, Fonda and yeah. all the things that Jane Fonda because did. Jane Fonda really took control of her own career mm-hmm. and did what she wanted to do she did the sex object kind of stuff but she also did lots of other things and that's who she wanted to be her career was was destroyed yeah oddly enough though there because there have been a f- quite a few cases where sex tapes have catapulted people from being a minor celebrity Paris to a major Hilton, celebrity yeah Kim Kardashian, yeah an interesting thing uh apparently Pamela Anderson in 2007 married Rick Solomon, who's the man in the Paris Hilton sex tape. Yeah. Really? A couple of times. They got married and divorced a few times. Mm. Yeah. I think the issue that the TV show, I think, is doing a really good job of focusing on is the issue of consent, Mm -hmm. which is kind of weird because knowing, watching it, knowing that Pamela Anderson has not given her consent for this to be broadcast. (laughs) I think it raises interesting discussion topics. I just really wish she'd um, kind of been part of it but that being said i think she's coming across really well yeah she's yeah. not being yeah. treated it's, unfavorably it's despite yeah. that yeah and yeah. lily james is wow what a transformation yeah. it ain't yeah. lady rose from downton no <laughs> no she it, she really looks so much like her it's it, the it's the voice it's the makeup it's the hair it's 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 yeah. she has totally lost any lily james and just completely become pamela anderson i hope she gets rewarded for it sebastian stan as well yeah yeah he's great yeah, he's, he's really good yeah. morale you can still see sebastian stan in the character mm. where there's lily james there's not an inch yeah. of lily james in there it's bizarre yeah mm. yeah but uh, yeah I'm I'm really enjoying mm. it i'm five episodes in what do we think about because it's using this current pattern where they release three episodes at once in the first week, mm-hmm. and then it's weekly afterwards. Do we think that's a good way of doing things? Yeah, I thought I was done after four. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, I'm only halfway through. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it takes a few episodes to get into a TV show. So by releasing two or three, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, here is a good picture of where we're going with this TV show. If you don't like it after three, maybe it's not for you. So it's, I think it's probably a good thing to do. Having something appear on the same day every week creates a discussion about yeah. it you can talk yeah. about that episode and you're not in danger of anybody accidentally or deliberately spoiling the entire show the entire show for you yeah whereas if it had all arrived at once and certain people had watched all eight episodes on the morning it came out mm-hmm. they'd be like oh in episode eight this 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 and you think i've only had time to watch one louise had no interest in it and said i don't really fancy this and was hooked mm-hmm. and we watched three episodes one after the other and I think, you know, she was expecting something a bit more like splashy and salacious. And yeah. I think the, maybe the advertising doesn't do it justice. It looks like a comedy from the trailers. In I, Tonya, the showrunner slash director Craig Gillespie, if you watch the trailers for that, you'd have thought it was a lot more lighthearted than the final film ended up being. So I didn't realise it was the same guy. And that makes a lot of sense. Cause yeah. it's, very, it's very similar structurally and tonally to I, Tonya, sir. So how many talking schlongs would you... How many inches of talking <laughs> penis out of ten? Yeah, we've we focused on all the serious stuff here. We haven't really talked about the fact that Jason Manzoukas from The Good Place and Brooklyn Nine-Nine is Sebastian Stan's talking penis. 
and Hazel looked shocked. No, I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. That, that Janet's was boyfriend, yeah. Derek slash yes. Adrian Pimento. That's yeah. him. He is the penis. I must watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason. So to answer your question, John, it's eight and a half inches. <laughs> and how many yeah, are you? <laughs> <laughs> what tape measure are you using, Peter? <laughs> Just the tip. That wasn't so hard, was it? Oh. John, dismay me with your recommendation. Okay, so I know this is one of these ones where you say, here's a recommendation, here's something we've enjoyed this week, here's something you liked. And again, I go, well, you know, <laughs> yuck. Um, <laughs> you shockers. <laughs> so um, Netflix dropped with little warning and reviews embargo until about two hours before its release for some reason mm. um a new always texas a good always a good sign a new texas chainsaw massacre movie Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> uh, this for those Yay. counting is the ninth texas chainsaw massacre movie okay. are we about to get a halloween style chronology say, yeah would you like the halloween style chronology <laughs> absolutely i would so mm. we have the texas chainsaw massacre which came out in 1974 which is an absolute masterpiece it was made by toby hooper did a lot afterwards, but never really came close to his, his debut. Poltergeist and Life Force being the most obvious. Well, Poltergeist we've talked about before, yeah. I think, haven't we? How involved in that he actually mm-hmm. was. Obviously, he was banned over here for a long time. Um, nobody made any money out of it because it was funded by the mob in America, <laughs> who somehow made the profits disappear. Years later, in 1986, we got the first sequel, which Toby Hooper came back to direct as part of a big three-picture deal he made. They had no real interest in doing it. So what he did was he went the Gremlins 2 route, which is basically make a crazy, insane film that parodies the original, is very meta and gets to the point where you go, well, no one's ever going to make another Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie after this. He was wrong. (laughs) So then New Line got the rights um, and they tried to kind of franchise it in a way that they'd done with Freddy Krueger and uh, Jason Voorhees. But the problem that you've got with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is it's a really unpleasant central conceit. Mm. It's a man who wears a mask of human skin going around killing people with a hammer and a chainsaw. It's brutal in a way that doesn't really lend itself to a franchise. And mm. so, a, there's only so much you can do with that. And B, it's quite a grisly idea compared to... Quite often in these franchises, after a while... They the, become the, the hero. The monster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so by the time you got to A Nightmare on Elm Street 4... Freddy Krueger was like the, the anti-hero, essentially. Right. So they made Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. The riots then reverted back to Kim Henkel, who made Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Next Generation, which <laughs> involves Leatherface in a dress and woman's wig. And the voice of Patrick Stewart. <laughs> and the voice, yeah. Uh, chasing around Renny Zellweger, whilst Matthew McConaughey plays a redneck. Hmm. Did they actually call it the Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Next Generation? It was, yes. Wow. Ooh. Okay. And Matthew McConaughey laughs about it now. Then he's like, it's nowhere near her CV. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a, a notorious flop, one of the weirdest films ever made, and that killed off the franchise again. Mm. Until <laughs> uh, Michael Bay got involved with Platinum Dunes. Oh, yeah. They went through a phase sort of in the early noughties of remaking all these classic 70s and 80s horror films. The Hills Have Eyes. They went through all of these and they did that with uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and they had Jessica Biel and Ali Ermey, the drill sergeant from oh, yes. Full Metal Jacket. And that was a massive hit. That I've did seen really, that really well. That's the one probably is better known to our generation than the original. They made a prequel to that, Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning, which disappeared without a trace, did very, very badly. And that was the end of the franchise. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D. 
no. Of course. Is a sequel to the first film, ignoring all the sequels that come in between, is 3D and Leatherface is kind of the good guy. Okay, mm. <laughs> it did well enough to do a prequel. So we got the origin story of Leatherface, which wasn't the origin story in Texas Shares of Massacre at the beginning, that only came out a few years before, and was called Leatherface, despite being a different film to Leatherface, the third Texas Shares of Massacre film. They had Stephen Dorff and Lily Taylor, so kind of 90s indie names. It flopped massively and the franchise rights expired and that was the end of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. That was in 2017, so obviously sufficient time has now passed for us to have about the fourth Mm go-round. Legendary Pictures now picked this up and have done a film that is just called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's a sequel to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and ignores everything that went in between. Right. It's, it was a notoriously troubled shoot, so it went through a lot of writers. Um, COVID hit during the start of the shoot. The director was fired after a week, and it's gone from a cinema release to At least being, the lead character could wear a mask. Uh, yeah, at least could share, yeah. <laughs> and got dumped on Netflix with kind of little fanfare. All good signs. So this new Texas Chainsaw Massacre is very much inspired by the Halloween 2018 reboot, so it's a legacy sequel where they wipe away the continuity and they bring back the characters from the first film that survived. Mainly Leatherface and Sally Hardesty was the only other character that survived the first film. Unlike Halloween, all the actors are long dead, so we don't have Marilyn Burns and we don't have Gunnar Hansen. And that takes a lot away from it, because I think a lot of the thrill of Halloween 2018 was seeing Jamie Lee Curtis coming back and playing that character as an older person. And you don't have that. What you have is a, an Irish stage actress who uh, has a large role in Mandy. Another good sign. Another good sign. <laughs> so the plot involves gentrification and yuppies and social media influences, which is exactly what you want in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre hmm. sequel. So four characters, one of whom doesn't even get a name. That's how well drawn she is. And they all drive to this small town in Texas, stopping, of course, at a slightly creepy gas station on the way. Mm. And the idea is that they have purchased this entire town of Harlow with a view to selling it to influencers and gentrifiers who want to move away from the big city. They're going to bus all these people out to the city. They're going to auction these buildings that they bought at a knockdown price, and they're going to create this kind of weird haven. One of the houses still has a very old woman in it who has her son from her orphanage who has been locked up in his bedroom for the last 50 years and is quite a big hulking character despite clearly by the maths spoilers it's Leatherface must be in his late 70s mm. Leatherface is Hulk? Yeah you don't okay. like him when he's angry so no. they kind of evict the old woman forcibly from her home she has a heart attack and goes in an ambulance with Leatherface whilst the others welcome this bus full of investors who all come on and go, hey, this could be a coffee shop. Hey, this could be a comic book shop. Ooh, a bakery. Gluten-free, though. Um, <laughs> the mother dies. I hope the acting's better than that. <laughs> no. <laughs> the mother dies. Leatherface is not happy, so decides to pull the mother's skin off, stick it over his head, uh. find a hammer from somewhere, kill everyone, and head back to the town just as the influencers arrive. So it's a hammer horror film. It's a, uh, hey, mm. hey. If you're into horror movies, you've got a good 30 minutes of good, suspenseful hiding under the beds, hiding in cupboards whilst all this chaos is going on around them kind of thing, which is really well done. It's mm. dark, it's brutal, it's well edited. If you're the sort of person who would watch a film called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you will enjoy that middle section. If you're a normal person, <laughs> uh, uh, not so much. 
But then in the last half hour, all logic goes out of the window. It's raining, so they all go and have a big party on a bus with neon lights and stuff for no reason whatsoever. Leatherface, having gone on his murderous rampage, goes on this bus with his chainsaw and they all pull out their mobile phones and start filming and live streaming. One of them goes, bro, if you do anything, you're so getting cancelled. <laughs> and at that point, I wanted to <laughs> kick my foot through the TV. And whilst all this is going on, you've also got Sally Hardesty from the first film, who apparently has spent 50 years as a ranger looking and trying to find Leatherface. So you intercut with her hearing that he's back, getting in the car, coming towards the town and then turning up with a shotgun to face off with Leatherface in what is just a complete rehash of the Halloween 2018 plotline, but done without any subtlety or interest or character development. So Jamie Lee Curtis in that film, you realise, you know, she spent 40 years an alcoholic, her life had been destroyed as a result of this. You get none of this. You just get this character who's not played by the original actress, so you've got no emotional attachment to who kind of does a Ghostbusters at the end and turns up with a gun and, you know, has, has a little bit of a fight that is in no way connected to the plot. Leatherface is a stormtrooper. Can't quite kill anybody who is important to the plot. <laughs> it's just really incredibly inconsistent. Help. <laughs> the, the dog is now attacking Daniel. You've made her watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and now she's gone savage. Go <laughs> kill him. He made you watch it. I'd have put Encanto on. Get off. <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it's badly done. You don't really care about any of the characters. But then the backstory of one of the characters is that she was involved in a high school shooting and was one of the only mm. few survivors. But the narrative arc of this seems to be that she has to get over her fear of guns and it's a good thing for her to get a gun and shoot people to defend herself. And you watch this, you go, like, is this fucking right-wing propaganda? What yeah. is going on? So the first film was funded by the Mafia. Was this funded by the NRA? Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's worth watching. And, and I've said all of this, but... <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it does not sound like it. You keep giving examples of why it's absolutely not worth watching. I would say it's the fourth best Texas Chainsaw Massacre out of nine. Right. <laughs> High praise indeed. <laughs> Uh, so, after all that, uh, how many influences on a bus? Yes, <laughs> on this 10-seater bus. Uh, four. <laughs> <laughs> Worth watching. Yeah. I, I, four. I, I, you know what? Before I started talking about it, it was a five or six, but I've talked myself, <laughs> I've talked myself down two points during my rant. <laughs> so to round out our wow. recommendations <laughs> section. What I will say is it's, um, it, was, it went on on Friday morning. By the time I watched it on Saturday morning, it was number four in the top ten most viewed films on Netflix. So I think it might not be the franchise killer again. I think we, the, I think we might not have seen the last of the guy, yeah, unfortunately. Those, yeah. those top tens are completely genuine. Yes, are and the Netflix <laughs> algorithm doesn't just count you putting it on, I think, for two minutes. Yes. I think this is the ten things they most want people to watch. Mm -hmm. exactly. It's nothing yes. to do with how many people are actually watching no. them. No. So how are we in the podcast charts, John? <laughs> Uh, we're, we're number one yes. today in the UK today <laughs> on the John Flicks chart. Imagine John Flicks, it's just all, all movies you don't want to watch. So my recommendation is you don't watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Great. Hazel, have you got an actual <laughs> recommendation? I do. My recommendation is Belfast, not the city. Although the city is very nice. It is the Oscar-nominated film directed by Kenneth Branagh. 
and it is a semi-autobiographical look at his life as a child growing up in Belfast, just as the troubles were starting to escalate. It is set in August 1969, during the riots, when a group of Protestant loyalists attacked the homes of Catholics. And the film centred around Buddy, who is nine years old, and he is living on a street which houses both Catholic and Protestant families. And he witnesses people who he has grown up around since he was born, really, really good family friends, all being targeted in these riots. Buddy's parents are played by Jamie Dornan and Katrina Balfe. Jamie Dornan's character works away in England as a joiner and comes back to Belfast every other weekend. And Katrina Balfe's character is the one trying to deal with everything, trying to deal with all these drastic changes that are happening in their lives and essentially bringing up Buddy and his elder brother as a single mother. We also have Buddy's grandparents in the cast, played by Judy Dench and Kieran Hines, who are brilliant, especially Kieran Hines. Uh, he's probably the heart of the movie. As the violence continues to get worse, uh, Jamie Dornan is considering moving the family away to somewhere like Vancouver or to Sydney uh, until things get better. The family's never lived anywhere else but Belfast, and everything and everyone that they know is in this street. It's definitely not an easy decision to make, and the film is kind of all about trying to make that decision. And Buddy can't bear the thought of leaving Belfast and his grandparents and everything that he has known. There also is the issue in the fact that the Protestant loyalists start to view anyone who is not on their side as being against them. So one of Jamie Dornan's school friends is trying to intimidate Jamie Dornan and uh, also. Buddy's brother, who's kind of starting to become a teenager, to fight for them. And then mirrored against this actual gang violence is um, a a lovely story where Buddy's cousin tries to recruit Buddy into her gang. And their plans, I think, involve stealing from the local sweet shop and all sorts of miscreant things. And suffice to say that he gets a very stern word from his mother about all of this. I really, really love this film. It's not about the history of the Troubles, per se. It's, that's kind of the backdrop. It's not about the conflicts or the horrific violence that went on for decades. It's very much a story on how the start of this has been affecting real families for generations and how people who knew each other on both sides and you know, how they sort of deal with that divide. A lot of the film is seen through Buddy's eyes, um, which makes sense because Buddy is essentially Kenneth Branagh and he's got a Thor comic and everything. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard the film described as a love letter to Belfast and Mm. you can definitely see that. Mm -hmm. Most of the film is in the 60s. It's in black and white, but occasionally it pops into colour. So you open on views of Belfast, the city as it is now Mm -hmm. and all the different aspects to it. And then it takes you back to the 60s. The only other times that Branagh uses colour is when Buddy and his family go to the cinema. That's a lovely, lovely scene. And we see their reactions to the film. And it's like the family have gone on a roller coaster or they've visited it in one of those like 4DX cinemas because mm. they, um, like with the flying car, they go, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> and it's just like the whole family is just like together as one experiencing this amazing cinematic feat. In the eyes of young Buddy, that's yeah. how it feels. It's very much a family 
film as in it's a film about a family. The reason mm-hmm. Hazel's describing the parents by the names of the actors and not the names of the characters is that they don't have names. No, it's just Ma they're Ma and Pa. Mm-hmm. So they're known by their relationship with Buddy. Mm-hmm. Kieran Hines is everyone's granddad oh. in that uh, both Amy and I were like, yep, my, my <laughs> granddad did that. My granddad did that. Uh, and yeah. he plays that really, really well. But like Hazel says, it's got this really affecting backdrop mm. in all of their lives. You yeah. get a bit of that in the opening, which really shocks you. You get mm. more of it towards the end. You know it's only going to get worse. Yeah. And for a lot of people, it is in living memory. Oh, yeah. And though the film is not about that, I thought it was a really effective way to kind of yeah. say, this is not what Belfast is about. Belfast is about more than this. Yeah. But we can't forget that this happened and we can't let it happen again. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the reasons it's so effective is that it is shown through a child's eyes, mm-hmm. a child who cannot understand why people do these things to each other when they live on the same street. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. The fact that it's shown through a child's eyes, I think, is a really effective way to show yeah. it. I think in the hands of another director, that same subject matter could have been this really mm. hard-hitting, super serious, I don't want to say grim or bleak or any of those standard words to describe those kinds of films, but it could have been a much more social realist yeah. drama mm. about the Troubles. And people probably hear, a oh, black and white film about Northern Ireland, oh, I know what that will be about. But it's really uplifting and it's really optimistic. And I think the modern shots of Belfast really say Belfast is a great city. Yeah. It's got a great history. It's a fantastic city. I spent yeah. a lot of time in Belfast and it's a wonderful, wonderful city. But as you say, it's not just in living memory, those divides you can see everywhere. And there's, you know, with the peace walls, there's more murals than ever before because mm. people are like, we have to keep talking about this and what we went through. But yeah. Absolutely wonderful performances. Jude Hill plays Buddy and is hopefully going to go on and do some amazing things. Kieran Hines, oh, amazing. Yeah. Katrina Balfe, is, it's an absolute travesty that she is not nominated. Yeah, and uh, Judy Dench, <laughs> it's not a showstopper of a performance like Katrina Balfe's. is. So yeah, it's not a story that I think gets to the heart of the conflict in Northern Ireland as a whole, but it's a story that should warm your heart. Yeah. Uh, so how many stolen pieces of Turkish delight out of 10 would you give it? <laughs> That's not what I was going to go for, so thank you, Dan. <laughs> I am going to go for eight and a half pieces of uh, Turkish mm. delight. Would you rather have eight and a half pieces of Turkish delight or eight and a half inches of Sebastian Stan's talking penis? Do I have to choose? Surely they <laughs> go together nicely. <laughs> <laughs> you oscar's music now it is time for our famous annual nerdfest oscars sweepstake did you get my bribe (laughs) yes dan don't worry good did you look up the word famous in a dictionary Hey, I put a lot of work into this. (laughs) It's one of my favourite times of the year. There are genuinely hats on the table. Now, before I talk about this year's twist, are we all familiar with a very, very simple traditional scoring system? Not at all. No. Okay. So, as a reminder, there are 10 Best Picture nominees. There are nine nerds and Nicolas Cage. 
Oh, um, he's back. Yeah, he wasn't nominated for Pig, so I thought the best thing to do would be to put him in our sweepstake. Yeah, this is the closest he's going to get. <gasps> Oscar winner <laughs> Nicholas Cage, I will have you know. <laughs> During the sweepstake, which we're about to do, we all draw a Best Picture nominee out of the hat. That will be our film for the entire awards night. It will accumulate points throughout the evening, and whoever's film wins the most points wins the sweepstake. The points differ as the awards get more high profile. So, for example, a best costume win, that'll get you two points. Best editing, three points. Acting, directing and screenplay writing, those are all things that get you four points. And then if your film wins the best picture, that will get you five points. And the whole point of doing it in this way is that just because your film wins best picture doesn't mean you win the famous Nerdfest Oscar sweepstake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I will be publishing our full scoring system on our social channels for anyone who is interested. There's only a limited number of characters on Twitter, though, so <laughs> yeah. it will be a thread. Okay. Maybe a bonus episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this year's twist. Ooh. There is a bonus category. We will be drawing names and films out of the two hats as usual, but there's a third hat in front of me. When your name is called, not only will you be given a film, you will be given a situation. This isn't one of them, but a situation could be the winner cries during their acceptance speech. Okay. Mm. So if that happens at any point during the ceremony, you will earn yourself an extra five bonus points. No way. Yes, way. So everything is to play for. Are we all ready to commence the 2022 Nerdfest Oscar sweepstakes? Hell yeah. Come on, June. Come on, June. Right. The first hat is names. John, pick a name. Oh, the name is Ian Mack. Oh, right. Pick a film for Ian Mack. Ian, you have June. 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 That is a very good film to pull. June has 10 nominations. Wow. And it's probably one of the three of the Best Picture nominees that might win it. What's the third? Uh, Power of the Dog, Belfast, June. Mm -hmm. I think are the front runners. Maybe West Side Story at a push, but I don't think any of the others are in with a hope. So the stakes are really high. (laughs) (laughs) Right, John, the third hat. Pull out a situation for Ian McLaughlin. Kermit ejaculation. (laughs) Oh, no, it says, someone is dressed like a blancmange. Yes. I think that's a safe five points. <laughs> so, yes, if someone's outfit resembles a trifle, then Ian will get five points. Who decides whether it's sufficiently trifle-like? That would be myself. That, that, that's your job. <laughs> do, do you have a blancmange scale? Yes, I do. Yeah, I will publish that on our social media. Thank you. <laughs> Dan, pull out another name. The name I have is Nicolas Cage. <gasps> Ooh, come on, Nick. Nicolas Cage's film is Drive My Car. I know nothing about I this film. I know nothing about this film. I believe it is a three-hour Japanese drama based on a novel, but that's as much as I've got. And Nicolas Cage's situation is? His situation is a night... Uh, that's ironic. A name is pronounced incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if Drive My Car wins anything, the Hollywood types butchering Japanese pronunciations oh, yeah. could yeah. well happen. Well, Drive My Car has four nominations. Not a lot. But you never know. Come on, Nicholas Cage. Now, Drive My Car is, I think, the only Best Picture nominee that is also in the film, not in the English language. Mm-hmm. So chances are it'll win that one at least. Yes. Peter. And the next person is... Dan. Hmm. It's me. And Dan's film is... Here we go. Here we go. King Richard. Oh. 
If there's any consolation, it's a brilliant film. Uh, well, yes, but it's not going to win anything, is it? It's got yeah. six nominations. So this is the Will Smith as the tennis coach. Yeah, Will Smith might win. I think Will Smith's got a good chance. Yeah, okay. he plays um, uh, Richard Williams. I think he does, in, just in terms of the way Oscars often get given to people, mm. not so much about that film, but about mm. having a significant career. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of Will Smith's turn, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. And your situation, Dan? Brief shot of losing nominee looking angry. Ooh. Ooh. I, should be, I should be making a note of these, shouldn't I? Everyone remember. Then we, we, we will have we a recording. Out of <laughs> there. Good point. Good point. Brief shot of Peter looking angry as he realises he has another admin job. <laughs> uh, right, I, I will be part of this. I'm going to draw out a name. John. Ooh. You won. What have I won? John's film is Belfast. Mm. That would be my pick for best picture. Seven nominations. Not bad. Yeah. I'd be very happy if that one won. You might have better look at the BAFTAs, but... Yeah, you know. I think mm-hmm. it's the third favourite for me, I think. I think it's between June and Power of the Dog. And John's situation is, a winner makes a political statement in their speech. Ooh. Well, if Belfast wins, that could happen. <laughs> Good. Hard to avoid. Next round, John. Keris. And Keris's film is... Nightmare Alley. Ooh. Ooh. Some of us have seen that. Yes, I really liked it, but I don't think it'll win much. It's got four nominations, so yeah. it's mm. going to have to win every one. Mm. The reviews were polite, weren't they, rather than yeah. great. So yeah. I, I thought it had some good ideas. Uh, I just didn't think that the central performance, Bradley Cooper, uh, quite mm. pulled it off. Yeah, I, I was really immersed in it. I really loved the world that Guillermo del Toro put together, but considering he got most of the big awards for his last film. I don't yeah. think they'll do that again. Mm-hmm. All right, what's Keris' situation? Flea wins Best International Film. Woo! Flea. Woo! Mm. Woo! Now, that, that <laughs> is a record-breaking film already, isn't it? Is. it? It's yeah. been nominated for Documentary, International Feature, and Animated Feature, which no film has ever done before mm-hmm. in three different categories. Mm. Yeah. Uh, went to see this last night, uh, hence the reason it's been included, uh, is... Amazing. It is such a different spin on a way to make a documentary by being animated. And they've done that for the reason of protecting uh, the interviewee's identity, but they've also really done a lot with the animation and how creative it is. Yeah. I recommend. I think the animated feature category is probably the strongest one across the whole Oscars field because it's got Flea in there, which, I, you, mm-hmm. as you've just said, is amazing. The Mitchells versus the Machines is in there. That's amazing. Luca's in there. I love that. Encanto's in there. That's great. It's a really strong set of animated films this mm. year. Right. We are halfway through. <gasps> Dan, draw another name. I have Hazel. Oh. <laughs> What's it going to be? Hazel's film is Coda. Yeah. Damn it. That's, they got the least amount of nominations. <laughs> three. Yeah. And has been out, been out on Apple TV Plus since while. the summer. And I haven't got round to it yet. Me neither. No, again, another one that I thought well, people didn't go crazy over at the time. So Coda stands for ch- Child, Child of, of Deaf Adults. adults. Yeah. yeah. Marley Matlin's in it and is supposed to be West very Wing good. Fame. But Joey Lucas herself, mm-hmm. but no nominations for her. Um, I think it has got an acting nomination. Yes. She got one for Children of Lesser God, didn't yeah, she? she is yeah. a winner. Yeah. So what is my situation? I like this one. Encanto wins best song. I put that in there for you. As it, as it should. Dos Oreguitas. Oh, watching that on Christmas morning just picks our level tears at that song. It's beautiful. Right. 
Peter, another name. And the next name is Andy. Mm-hmm. Oh, we know him. We know him. Some of us are married to him. Who? Who? <laughs> oh, I can say some, not one. <laughs> That's, it's what called a joke, John. <laughs> and Andy's movie is The Power of the Dog. Well done, Andy, well, you've won. <laughs> yeah, congrats. yeah, congratulations, 12... Andy. Enjoy your award from the bag of fun. Twelve nominations. Uh... Twelve. And Andy's situation is... Someone trips walking up to the stage. Ooh. That's mm. less likely to happen than some of the others, yeah. so we might yeah. be able to pull some points back there. there yeah, you go. Twelve nominations. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was all right, but it wasn't twelve nominations at the Oscars. Good, I thought. Mm. We'll see. I was put off it a little bit by uh, Benedict Cumming Snatch going like, "Oh, I led to a cigarette, and I led to a castrated bull." Yeah, Which no, it, it is very well made. Cumberbatch is really good in mm, it. Yeah. It's beautifully shot. Jane Campion has a really good chance at Best Director, and she that would does. be deserved. Did but she 12 win nominations? The piano. Mm. Did she win for the piano? No. She, Spielberg beat her. Ah, okay. So she's Could that happen again? again? <gasps> right. Three names left. Ian Mayer. <gasps> Hello. Hello, Ian. Hello, Ian. Ian Mayer's film is... Licorice Pizza. Ian is joining me in the three nomination camp. I haven't seen that yet, but I love Paul Thomas Anderson and it looks a little bit more of a throwback to his earlier funner stuff. A bit of Boogie Nights about it. And, you know, I, I like the idea of the setting. Keris went to see that one. I think she really enjoyed it. It's Philip Seymour Hoffman's son in the lead and one of him. Right, yeah. Olivia Coleman does something charming. <laughs> That's, yeah. The, the I added the quotation marks, marks. Added yes. <laughs> yeah, um, I think there's a good chance of that happening. And since I'm the judge, <laughs> she, all she has to do is crack a smile. Yep, which is more than she did in The Lost Daughter. <laughs> I haven't seen that yet. Oh, miserable. Mm. Is that the one Maggie Gyllenhaal directed? Yes, and it directed very well, very well performed. Jesse Buckley is amazing in it, but it's just two hours of Olivia Coleman moping on a beach. I didn't get on with it. That's Broadchurch. Or Eternals. Yeah. <laughs> the penultimate name. <laughs> Louise. And Louise's film is? West Side Story. Yeah. Ooh. I really enjoyed it. As did most of us, I think. That's coming to Disney very soon, isn't yeah. it? It is. I think probably as a result of it getting the nominations, they want to get as many eyes yeah. on it as possible. And deservedly so, because it didn't do well in the cinemas, which is a shame, because mm. it's one of Spielberg's best for a while. I haven't seen it yet, and I hope I'm proved wrong, but it, it just felt a bit unnecessary because the original is so iconic. There's a lot wrong with the original. It felt, yeah, get, yeah. It, it felt very necessary. And, it, and it has been like 40, 50 years. 60? Yeah. yeah. 60? Bloody yeah, hell. 1961 was the wow. original. I mean, yeah. they've made nine Texas Chainsaw Baskers in that time. Get the fingers out. <laughs> West Side Story 9. <laughs> Arietta DeBose is nominated, isn't she? Yes, oh, I hope she wins. Yeah. She's amazing yeah. in that film. So what is Louise's situation? Louise's situation is pretty much a guarantee. Host skit utterly fails to land. Mm. <laughs> and there are three hosts this year, uh, I think. Oh, yes. And I forget who they all are. Amy Schumer's one. All right, okay. Mm-hmm. Can they not just get Tina Fey and Amy Paul to do only seven minutes forever? So this year's uh, Oscars hosts, Regina Hall, Amy Schumer and Wanda Sykes. All right, we have one name left who could it be who could it be who could it be who's left i don't know peter would you like to draw your own name oh yes of course it's peter (laughs) (laughs) okay so with no fixing at all uh, i've drawn my own name 
And your film is? I was trying to work out what the film is. I, can't, I know sure. what it is. It is Don't Look Up. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> so that's me. <laughs> well, now, s- saying that, this is the same Motion Picture Academy that had Crash win Best Picture because it was a hot issue film. Mm-hmm. And they might see Don't Look Up as, oh, it's about the climate crisis. We should give it lots of awards because we're Hollywood and we know what we're talking about. I, I, I didn't hate it. I know a I lot of people did. Oh, I, I thought it worked very well in that it made my stomach crunch up and feel really, really bad. And we watched it on the evening of Christmas Eve. And that wasn't my most Christmassy feeling. It made me feel awful, mm-hmm. but that meant it was effective. Mm-hmm. So it did what it wanted to do, but I didn't feel nice about it. I enjoyed it, but I felt like a lot of the actors were in different films to each other. A lot of the performances didn't really. So like uh, Jonah Hill's played it very broad compared to some of the other actors. And I, I just felt it was a bit of a mess because of that. Peter, what is your situation? My situation is, winner looks bored, annoyed during their speech. Yes, I took inspiration from Joaquin Phoenix's uh, acceptance speech, where he just looked like he wanted to be anywhere but there. <laughs> okay. yeah. Do you think they're going to mess about with the order of the awards, like they did last year when they put Best Actor on last? Because they thought Chadwick Boseman was going to yeah. win. Yeah. yeah. I don't think they'll be making that mistake again. Who do you think he's going to win? The sweepstake. Well, the person who stands the best chance going by the number of nominations is definitely Andy with mm. The Power of the Dog. But I, I still think things like Belfast are going to win a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm. June will probably get most of the technicals. Yeah. I think West Side Story might win a few biggies because Power of the Dog might win lots of smaller awards, but they don't necessarily add up. Yeah, but they've got four acting nominations just yeah. for that one, haven't they? Bollocks. Yes, yeah. yes, there are. Yeah, um, Jesse Plemons. Everyone in it has been nominated. Dance. Yeah. I think uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is as nailed on as nailed on can be, isn't he? Is he? I might just be out of the loop, but it doesn't feel like there's a clear front runner. No, got- one film that's getting all of the awards at all of the ceremonies, like there sometimes is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Belfast was doing really well for a bit. Power of the Dog's done really well for a bit. I think which High Story is the, uh, the Dark Horse. Yeah, Spielberg is a massive favourite amongst the Oscar voters. Mm. Despite only actually winning himself the one time when he beat Jane Campion. The fact the movie didn't do so well at the box office might actually almost mm-hmm. count in its favour. Yeah, they sometimes feel under pressure that they have to give awards to films that people have actually seen because then if they give all the awards to films that nobody has seen, nobody watches the ceremony. Mm-hmm. And if nobody watches the ceremony, then the Oscars loses its prestige a little bit. There'll be one person watching the ceremony. I have booked the day off uh, <laughs> and I will be staying up all night until 5am letting you know if Olivia Coleman does something charming. That is it for this week's episode of Nerdfest. Thank you so much for listening. Follow our musings on social media at Nerdfest UK and do leave us a review if you have time. And John... Will you give us an added incentive for our listeners? If you like us on social media, I will pop around and we will have some fun. But it'll be fun with an incredibly complicated scoring system and we'll have to decide by picking it out of a cap. <laughs> <laughs> Treats for everyone. Um, we will be back in a few weeks' time. Until then, you've been listening to... A man who's off to have a conversation with his penis. A man who would watch Macbeth tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow... And the man who is currently talking without moving his lips. Oh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> and a woman whose work begins now to get five hats into the next sweepstake. It's going to happen. I look forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> 
see you next time. Bye. Bye. Uh, Hazel, before you look at your phone, uh, your husband, who is not with us today, has just watched the French Dispatch. Right. What do you think? Bear in mind, you presumably know him better than us. His review of the French <laughs> Dispatch will be. Do you think he enjoyed it? Um, bearing in mind that he doesn't enjoy many films, I'd say he probably hated it. You are correct. Yeah. He <laughs> says, just slogged my way through the French Dispatch, found it incredibly tedious. I should have watched something else. He did say he was either <sighs> going to watch that or that um, film about a tree that's just come to, come to movie. So. You see, he talked about that on Friday in the pub <laughs> and I thought he was joking. <laughs> <laughs>